Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Well, we are uh, also, you might uh, be noticing, we're just wrapping up phase one of our building uh, remodel campaign here. And uh, we're doing it completely debt-free. And uh, they're going to be wrapping up the fellowship hall this week. Uh, Pastor Cooper's been our point man on this and has done a phenomenal job. Uh, In fact, let's give Cooper a round of applause. Just thank God for that. Praise God. There are a zillion and one little details, let me tell you, when you're doing a project of this size. So uh, we are estimating, we would love to be able to wrap this up by the end of the year. Uh, in order to do that without any debt, we need to have at least another 250000 uh, to be about $1,100,000. We need to be about that point before we start phase, the next phase. So that'll give you something to shoot for there, and uh, it'd be wonderful to get going on that as soon as possible. Well, today um, we uh, get into the heart of the God Speaks, We Respond series. And uh, I love this passage, Thunder on Mount Sinai. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you, God, for um, just the awesome God you are. Lord, uh, you meet us in so many ways, and uh, you surprise us continually, and some of us experience that this week, Lord, and uh, we just uh, praise you and thank you, and God, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds, and I pray, Father, that the things that I speak today would be pleasing in your sight and helpful, Lord, for our edification and growth as believers. We pray this in your name. Amen. God wants to marry you. (laughs) Talked a little bit about that last week. And that is the theme of Chris Wess's new book, Our Bodies Tell the Story, Discovering the Divine Plan for Love, Sex, and Gender. Until Chris gave his life to Christ, Jesus was nothing more than a mysterious guy who started a religion. Chris says, I didn't know him personally as my Savior until I started studying the Bible in my college years. Now, interestingly, and I do need to give this disclaimer, Chris remained a Catholic, but he is thoroughly biblical. And I'll tell you, I I combed through this book uh, pretty tight, and uh, I did... Uh, saw very, very few things that I disagree with. In fact, uh, it is a winsome um, presentation on the, um, the beauty of traditional marriage. Chris's conversion is a fascinating story. He, uh, he found himself drowning in a sea of sexual temptation. That's the way he puts it. And it caused him to turn to the Bible for answers. One day in his college dorm, Chris dropped to his knees in a prayer of desperation. (laughs) There's probably a lot of us guys that can uh, 
identify with this. He said, God in heaven, if you exist, show me what this whole sex thing is all about and why you gave me all of these desires because they're getting me and everybody I know into a lot of trouble. What's your plan, God? Do you have a plan? Show me, Lord. Please show me. And God answered that prayer in amazing ways through leading Chris to a Bible study with believers from both evangelical and Catholic backgrounds. And over the next three years, God revealed to Chris that Christianity is all about a living relationship of intimacy with our Creator, just like we have in marriage. A human wedding in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, foreshadows the wedding feast in the heavenly paradise of the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. Throughout the Bible, God reveals his intense love for us as mortal human beings. And then right square in the middle of the Bible is the Song of Solomon, which uses all of this erotic imagery to describe, and it, it's a picture not just of the beauty of love between uh, husband and wife, but between God and his people. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see the parallels of the husband-wife relationship and the relationship between Jesus and his followers. Now, I'm going to just read these verses here in Ephesians 5, and I'm going to make one little adaptation where it says church, I'm going to use the phrase his followers because that's who Jesus is speaking about, his followers, okay? Uh, Jesus is, uh, he didn't die for a building, (laughs) you know, because we often think of church as a building. And um, his followers do not even include everybody that goes to church because some are not there yet, okay? So uh, here's what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved his followers, his people, and gave himself up for his followers to make his followers holy, cleansing his followers by the washing with water through the word, and to present his followers to himself as radiant followers of Christ, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one who ever hated his own body, uh, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does with his followers. For his followers are members of his very own body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, the two will become flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his followers. Isn't that interesting? God wants to marry you. 
And we see glimpses of this all through the Bible. But the most touching, I think, is found here in Exodus 19. When God reveals himself in thunder and lightning to his people on Mount Sinai, and yet in the midst of all of this rolling thunder, we see a longing in God's heart for this close and unbreakable bond with his people. Now in this chapter, we see three desires that God has for a relationship with his people. The first desire that God has uh, is for your relationship to him to be a relationship of freedom. Freedom. No control, no coercion. God longs for us to make freely, to, to make free choices that honor him. Okay? Verse 1 gives us a setting. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now, this is an amazing scene. 600,000 men, according to Exodus 12, plus the women and children, somewhere around 2 million Israelites gathered there in front of Mount Sinai. Do you got the picture? Now, some of us from Heartland here have climbed Mount Sinai. Okay? We did it in 20, uh, 2009. And uh, Roger Phobia is one of them. I was just uh, telling Roger this. He's going to be in the sermon today. And by the way, it's uh, Roger's 77th birthday today. So uh, you might want to congratulate him. <laughs> so some of us from Heartland were climbing Mount Sinai. Uh, we got up at 12.30, the middle of the night, and rode camels with little Arab boys leading us three-quarters of the way up. It was the first time it had snowed in five years, okay, the day that we climbed Mount Sinai. So the little Arab boys, they got uh, three-quarters of the way up the mountain, and they abandoned us. <laughs> They took their camels and left, okay? And uh, at this point, <clears throat> my beautiful wife almost divorced her boneheaded husband. <laughs> and uh, on Mount Sinai, of all places, okay? Isn't there a few commandments there that, you know? Uh, <laughs> And uh, it all happened because Roger and Phoebe and I were out looking for the trail. You know, the Arab boys had all taken off. So we were out looking for the trail that led the last quarter of the way to the top. And uh, it took a little longer than we were expecting. And uh, so uh, this uh, crazy guy, um, and uh, it wasn't Roger influencing me, believe me. It was, uh, but we, we headed toward the top, abandoning my wife. Okay, uh, it, it, needless to say, it was not one of my finer moments. 
<laughs> but thank God I've got a gracious wife, and uh, we still managed to patch it up for this picture on, <laughs> on the top of the mountain doing Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my husband go. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> So now, as you can imagine, there's a long story that goes along with that. I'm going to let my wife uh, fill in the horrific details if you want to know more. So, so uh, anyway, at any rate, given all those circumstances, I have conveniently forgotten a lot about our stop at Mount Sinai. <laughs> but I do remember that there is a large plateau at the base of the mountain where you could fit a massive crowd of people. And that's one of the reasons that the traditional site on Mount Sinai in what is now Egypt is still favored by many Bible scholars. The alternative site is in Saudi Arabia, and there is some support for that. Now, in verse 3, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. It's not beautiful. And brought you to myself. That's a beautiful picture of freedom and liberation for God's people. And the symbol that God uses is an eagle. Fascinating bird. Eagles have excellent vision. They're absolutely fearless. They'll take on anything. They soar up to 10,000 feet, far more than any other bird. No wonder God likens himself to an eagle in verse 4. It says, you have seen what I did to Egypt. It was there at the Red Sea. God crippled the Egyptian army. He broke the back of Egypt's power. Just like an eagle attacking its prey, God swooped down and went into battle mode. Heartland family, that's what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us. Let that sink in. When Jesus sacrificed his life for you on the cross, he broke the back of Satan's power. Jesus broke the chains of sin and Satan and death and hell, your four great enemies. In John 3.16, God offers true freedom to every person on our planet for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him will not perish but have what? everlasting life. Jesus offers freedom. Whenever you face temptation of any kind, you can defeat that temptation by calling on Jesus' name. Praise God. Are you turning to him in times of temptation? Now here's another fact about eagles. Research has shown that there is no member of the bird family that is more gentle and more attentive to its young than the eagle. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's continual care for us? 
As you may know, when a mother eagle sees that the time has come to teach her eaglets to fly, she gathers an eaglet on her back and spreading her wings, she flies extra high and then suddenly swoops down out from under the eaglet, allows it to fall. And as it fall, falls, it gradually learns what its wings are for <laughs> until the mother catches it once again and the re process is repeated over and over again. What a beautiful picture we're given of the freedom we have in Christ. Verse 4 says, I carried you on eagle's wings. The Hebrew word means to lift up. The fact is that no one loves you more than the one who knits you together in your mother's womb. The one who thinks about you like the grains of sand. The one who knows what you're going to say before you say it. Heartland family in Christ, you are safe. Free from the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus wants you to run to him in times of need. Are you doing that today? Are you letting the Lord lift you up on eagles' wings? One other interesting fact about the eagles is what happens if the eaglet is slow to learn or fearful. The mother eagle will return to the nest and begin to stir up the nest, tear it up, until there's nothing left for the eaglet to, climb, uh, to cling to. And then she nudges him out. <laughs> and it's like she's saying, oh, little one, it's time for you to do what God created you to do. Moses spoke of this in Deuteronomy 32, 11. An eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young and spreads its wings to catch him. You see, God had a vision for his people Israel. According to Isaiah 42, 6, they were to be a light to the nations. And the same is true for you today. Jesus has a vision for you. You are to be salt and light to everyone around you. That's what he taught in Matthew chapter 5, 13 and 14. Only in Christ do you have the freedom to truly be yourself. You know that God knows your unique personality. He knows your giftedness. He has designed you to make a difference in the lives of others. He's designed you to be like salt. Salt's a preservative. It preserves and protects food. God wants you to preserve and protect those who are around you, your family, your friends, your social circle. You know what else salt does? It arouses thirst. God wants you to arouse thirst in those around you thirst for the living God. And God also wants you to be light, illuminating the grace and truth of our Lord wherever you go. Throughout history, the eagle has been a symbol of freedom. That's why we as Americans chose the eagle as our national symbol. 
On Lake John, where we live, we'll often pontoon down to see the eagles in their nest. <laughs> Couldn't find them last year. I don't know if they took off or what. Maybe you have some that are near your home. This summer, I want to challenge you, whenever you see an eagle, let it remind you of the freedom that we have in Christ who protects us from evil and then nudges us out of the nest to be salt and light wherever he leads us. The first desire God has for his people is relationship of freedom. True freedom is being delivered from doing bad, being empowered to do good, and freely choosing to be salt and light wherever you go. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the second desire God has for us in our relationship to him is a relationship of loyalty. Verse 5 and 6 are dripping with symbols of loyalty. Verse 5 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, loyalty is a wonderful attribute, isn't it? The loyalty of a spouse who cherishes you the loyalty of a friend who is there for you, the loyalty of an employer who supports you when crisis strikes. That's what, that's what verse 5 means when it refers to keep my covenant. It means to remain loyal to the vows that you have taken. Sometimes it's, it's actually a word that's used to describe the covenant of marriage. And sometimes it's used of two individuals or two nations that have made an alliance or a treaty. In the Hebrew, the phrase to obey fully refers to hearing someone's voice. That's what you do in a relationship, isn't it? You carefully listen to your loved one and you're there for them. You don't just cut and run. You stay loyal to them and the bonds of friendship that you share. All God is really asking of you is to respond to his outpouring of love for you. God sent his son. He gave up the glory of heaven to live among us on earth. He endured all kinds of trials and troubles and temptations and then he sacrificed his life dying on a cross in your place. In response to that, God asks one thing of you above all else, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, if you respond positively to his love, there are three promises in verses 5 and 6. First, you will be his treasured possession. In the Bible, the Jewish people were God's chosen set apart from all other peoples on earth. They're called the apple of God's eye. You know what that looks like? <laughs> that looks like the parent whose son is playing his first game of basketball. Some of you have been there. And uh, your child, your son, he finally gets in the game, tail end of the game, two minutes left, 
And he's out there and he throws up a three-pointer and it goes swish. And the parent goes bananas. It doesn't matter that his son is only in the game for a few seconds. It doesn't matter that the home team is won by 50 points. What matters is that it's your son, your treasured possession, that made the basket. Would you like to love someone? Would you like someone to love you like that? See, verse 5 continues with the second promise. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. A priest is a conduit through which the grace and truth of God can flow to others. A priest represents God before man. You see, God's ultimate plan is that every one of his followers be a priest. And that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Dads, God wants you to be the priest in your home, representing your family before God. Moms, God wants you to be a priest when you put those little kiddos to bed at night and teach them about the one who made them. Teens and kids, God wants you to be a priest when you are at school. Wherever you're at, at home, at work, at school, with your neighbors, whoever you associate with, God wants you to be a priest. If you hear his voice and take in his word, you will be equipped to be a priest. Now God's third promise, if you listen to his voice and remain loyal to him, he's going to make you a holy nation, according to verse 6. Now it's interesting that these promises aren't just for Israel, they're for the church because they're underscored, they're repeated in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's how the Lord describes the church. To be holy means to be set apart. Are you okay with being different? During the football playoffs this year, we were introduced to San Francisco 49er quarterback, Brock Purdy. Brock had no problem letting the world know that he was a follower of Christ. Here's what he told the press. Can you imagine this? He said, quote, every time I play, no matter what happens, I want others to see God through my actions. Every time I step on the field, I want to bring him glory. Even when we lose, I point to God and thank him for the opportunity. Everything happens for a reason. It's all a lesson from, a, from the Lord. It's a game. It's not my life. Unquote. Are you ready to stand for Jesus like that? Well, that's loyalty, isn't it? You see, that second desire God has for our relationship to him is a relationship of loyalty. Now let's, bring, let's go to the third desire God has. That we would have with him a relation of intimacy. 
Now, don't think sexual intimacy here. Instead, think sibling intimacy or intimacy with your best friend. You know, our adopted kids, Natalie Larson Strummy and Andrew Larson, I mean, they're twins, and they are like that, you know? In fact, when Brady married Natalie, I said, you know, you're getting a package deal. (laughs) You know, whether you want, those two are tight, (laughs) And that's what God wants with us. And you know what? There are barriers that hinder that from happening. And we see them here in Exodus 19 as the Israelites approach Mount Sinai. First barrier is barrier sin and the need for confession. In verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. That word consecrate in the Hebrew means to purify yourself by setting yourself apart from sin. When I was a teenager, I went through our Bible instruction class, much like uh, we have done here at Heartland. It's the equivalent, the free church equivalent of confirmation. And at the end of the course, we were presented with Bibles. And the pastor had written a little message inside the Bible. And here's what it says. This book will keep me from sin. Or sin will keep me from this book. Never forgotten that. It was a great lesson for a young teenager. Sin separates us from God. And you know what? It separates us from the Word of God. I've noticed over the years, when I'm walking closely with God, I have a keen sensitivity to sin. And I have a very tender conscience in those times. I cannot wait to confess my sin. Otherwise, you know what happens? There's a barrier there, isn't there? Have you noticed that in your relationship to your spouse? or a close friend, or a coworker, if you have sinned against them, if you have lashed out in anger, if you have intentionally misled them about something, if you have taken credit for something that someone else did, it, it creates a barrier there, doesn't it? A barrier to that person. And what is the first step in reestablishing that close relationship? It's to confess your part in the relational back breakdown. So Rudy Gobert calls Kyle Anderson and he says, you know what, Kyle? I screwed up when I took a swing at you the other night. I screwed up. I'm talking about the Timberwolves here. Okay? I screwed up. And uh, they took care of that barrier, and they went out, and they had a great, uh, a great night, okay? This happens all the time. What, what do we do? We own up to our own sin, our own part. It's not easy. It's never easy admitting that you're wrong. Those may be the three hardest words that you'll ever say, I was wrong. But it does happen occasionally, right? (laughs) When it comes to our relationship with God, the Bible says, if you confess your sin, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you want that intimate relationship with the Lord, you have to overcome that barrier of sin by confessing it. That's the first barrier the Israelites had to overcome. But there was also another barrier. Now I'm calling it the barrier of preparation. And the reason I'm calling it that is because, you see, the Israelites had a problem in how they viewed the Lord. They had a problem of entitlement, presumption. They had a problem with pride. You know what? They thought they had God in their pocket. Hey, we're the chosen people, after all, you know. And what they needed was a proper respect for God. We never lose. I tell you, I, I look at my pastors, uh, my fellow pastors that have fallen in, gotten into trouble and so forth. What have they lost? They've lost this, a respect for God. Because you know what? We will all stand before him someday. You're going to stand all by yourself, you know? Never lose that respect for God. Verse 10, have the Israelites wash their clothes, be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. Do you remember going on your first date? Do you remember getting ready? It took you more than five minutes, didn't it? Hmm? I even remember hand waxing my car before going on my first date. I don't think I've hand waxed my car since. <laughs> when I started dating Sue, my sister said, Denny, it's time to go shopping. And she said, no one wants to go out with a guy that was in style 15 years ago. <laughs> so we headed up to the Brainerd Mall which was a new experience for me. And uh, she said, they're wearing this. I said, I'll take one of those. She said, they're wearing this. I said, I'll take one of those. Now, how many of you guys can identify with that? Huh? When the Israelites prepared to meet the Lord at Sinai, it took them three days to get ready. And they were to stay a certain distance away out of respect for the holiness and the awesomeness of God. Now it is true, there was a change that took place at the cross. When Jesus was crucified, right after he said, it is finished, and then he died, at that moment, the curtain, the veil of the temple, which separated the Holy of Holies, it was torn from top to bottom, a pathway to a new level of intimacy with God was opened. The book of Hebrews says we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. And yet, there is a word of caution here because we are to never forget a sense of respect 
for the holiness and awesomeness of God. And that is why the same book of Hebrews also says this, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I close with this. You remember Chris West? The guy I talked about at the beginning? When Chris first began teaching about God wanting to marry us, he was in high demand. It was a very popular message. In 2004, he was invited to New York City by the largest publishing house in the world, and they offered him this attractive book deal. And they wanted him to write a book for husbands entitled, Loving Her Rightly. Chris could hardly wait to get home. I mean, uh, he just wanted to tell his wife all about this. He was so excited. This was his gateway into the big leagues. From here, it's up, 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 up. But to his great surprise, his wife got a big old frown on her face, and she said, Chris, you and I need to talk, and it's going to be long, and it's going to be painful. What do you mean, he said. She shook her head and she said, let's put it this way. You are in no place to write a book for husbands called Loving Her Rightly. (laughs) Well, Chris ended up making the same mistake I made at Mount Sinai. (laughs) You know, he was just chugging along and doing his thing and left his wife in the dust. You know? Now, to make a long story short, Chris never did write that book, but he wrote several others, not that one, and yet that whole experience was not wasted for Chris learned a valuable lesson about relationships, and that is the danger of taking relationships for granted. There is danger in taking your spouse for granted. There is danger in taking your Lord for granted. Because you know what? Relationships need work constantly, right? And Chris says there's one ingredient needed in a successful marriage more than any other. You know what it is? It's mercy. Mercy comes from the Latin word misericordia which means a heart that gives itself to those who are in misery. It's having that tender, a tender compassion for one who is in distress. And that is why the promise that the Bible gives in Lamentations chapter 3 is so powerful. It says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That has got to be the most comforting and reassuring words in the universe. (laughs) God never takes us for granted. And that's why his mercies, they're new every morning. 
that also shows us the kind of relationship God wants with us. He wants it to last forever and ever. Do you long for that today?